Hey, welcome to this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as every week by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, before we forget, we've got to plug your upcoming appearance on Tuesday at the Medina Library. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I'll be there at the Medina Library, downtown, 6.30 p.m. It's free. I usually give a little talk in the beginning, take some questions. Afterwards, I sign books. Did I say it was free, David? It's free. In fact, (laughs) that's the thing that's great about my appearances. If you go, they'll even give you your money back if you don't like it. So (laughs) um, we've had um, the last two. One has been at Willoughby. One was at the Bay Village. And uh, they both pretty came pretty close to packing out the room. So that was good. I think people are glad to be getting out a little bit and, and having some fun. And it's not like we lack things to talk about. Oh, yeah. We got a packed show here. And uh, and you'll be signing books at that, right? Yes, As right. Usual? And people get uh, they'll sell them your books there. If you have some, I'll sign them. Uh, if you come up, which I've had happen with 10 or 12, you actually I'll be glad to sign them. But you sort of go to the end of the line so I get to take care of everybody else. I'm. I'm glad to sign them. The only the only framework was that David is do bring a book that I at least wrote. <laughs> Once yeah, in a while, I Pluto. remember one time this guy came up and I forgot what the book was. I'm looking and go, well, at least bring something like by John Grisham or somebody made some money. I never even heard of this guy. Has anybody ever asked you to sign like a ball or a bat or a glove oh, yeah. or anything? Yeah. Oh, What's yeah, the weirdest thing stuff. you've ever been asked to sign? Oh, weirdest thing I've ever been asked to sign. I mean, what? really dirty ticket stub one time i think somebody picked up off the ground at goodyear and had me sign it was kind of it was like my dad used to take you to northfield park when i was a kid and it was all those yucky things they just tossed on the floor you know it looked like there's a footprint on it and everything else i'm like well okay but i don't have any great stories about signing body parts or anything not yet. Not till Tuesday at the Medina Library. That's right. The first one. But that's uh, Tuesday, September 13th at 630. So, all right, Terry, every week we keep talking about this. The first place Cleveland Guardians, mm-hmm. everybody wants to write them off because of how young they are. And and they don't have a lot of pop in the lineup. But as we look today, as we're taping, they are a game and a half up on the Twins. Twins got rained out last night. Um, so it's a game and a half, and the Guardians are 70 and 64. They beat the Royals in Kansas City last night, four to one. Pretty, pretty rough stretch they came out of, and these have been some big games this week that they have been able to win the last two nights. So, um, what are your thoughts on, on the Guardians? Well, right part now? of what I think happened to them is they simply ran into Seattle, which was one of the hottest teams going, and you should say, well, that shouldn't have an impact, but. Um, I think by the time they were done with Seattle, where they lost six out of seven to Seattle, uh, Seattle was on a streak of having won 46 and lost 19 and just making a lot of other teams look bad. And because they played Seattle, they played Baltimore, who suddenly has played well, too. And then he played Seattle again. And what can happen in that area is um, you just run into a really good team with some good pitching and you stop hitting and then it, you it, it kind of spirals against you for a while. So I wrote a column, which actually some emailers just made fun of me. Oh, you're just trying to be optimistic, saying, uh, well, they're done with Seattle. They're done with that. And now they got the rest of the – I think they have 30 games left at that point going into Monday night. They had 21 against the Central Division and nine against the Royals. And I said, you know, they got the Royals coming up. I think they're going to get well. I just do. The only team in the last 30 games 
that when I wrote that on Monday, they had a better record than the Guardians left under schedule is Tampa Bay. So, you know, you play your schedule, you're in your division. You could say, well, it doesn't count there in first place because it's a bad, bad division or whatever. It's the division you're in. And we saw, you know, they caught a – it's almost like the baseball got smiled on them that Monday night game. Remember, they, they actually won that challenge right at the end of the 10th inning with, with where it looked like a tie first base for Class A run over, and I forgot who was running down the line for, for uh, Kansas City. And they got the call to go their way. And then last night, Bieber stepped up and went, you know, four innings. Uh, I mean, sorry, four, one run in eight innings. And you turn, and then finally, David, you know, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, some of the, the lads are back with their bats going against some of the young guys. Yeah, especially the bottom of the lineup last night really mm-hmm. had a big impact on that game. So, so you mentioned Shane Bieber, Terry. Let's talk about him for a second. Eight innings last night, gave up four hits, one run, struck out seven. And it wasn't just an important night for him and the guardians because of what I'm in the standings, but also personally for him, um, there were some milestones that he set last night. He's the sixth Cleveland pitcher to reach 800 strikeouts by the age of 27 or younger. And the other guys on that list are Sam McDowell, Bob Feller, CC Sabathia, Trevor Bauer, and Louis Tiant. That's a pretty good list right there. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, like, yeah, Read uh, that let list me run again. Let's see how many Hall of Famers there are. Yeah, so Sam McDowell, no. Bob Feller, yes, CC Sabathia, gonna be Trevor Bauer, no, and Louis Tiant. I believe Tiant's in. Um, so anyway, that's three. And yeah, and let me give you this too before we we go on here. He By the way, tied... well, I'm, yeah, other than Bauer, Bauer's the 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 asterisk there. None of those guys also were bust outs either. After that, in other words, they all had long careers. That's true. Yeah. Um, so Bieber also tied Bob Feller for the fifth most wins with 50 in franchise history through 108 career appearances. And he's and Bieber's behind Wes Farrell, Earl Moore, Veen Gregg, V-E-A-N. Is that how I, boy? And Eddie Joss. There's some old timers in there. Yeah, that's know. back when you you got a decision every time you went out there that. You know, in the bullpen was actually real cattle, not relief pitchers. So they did <laughs> not, right. you know, outside the stadium somewhere. So that's, I mean, that's where that whole thing came from because when they would play on these farm fields, you'd be warming up like where the where the cattle were. Um, so but I want to ask you a question, Terry. So, yeah. so, so over his last eight starts, Bieber has got an ERA of one point seven nine in fifty five yeah. and a third innings, sixty one strikeouts. Uh, in that span for the season, he's nine and eight with a 2.96 ERA. But last night's game was so important for a number of reasons. Not far down the list is that he really saved the Guardians bullpen. They really mm-hmm. needed a night off last night. But who who is the most important pitcher on the Guardians? Do you think it's Shane Bieber or would you pick somebody else at this point? I mean, the argument we've made this before. So remember, we did the underrated? Was it underrated? Most in, indispensable was Quasse, and I still think there's a lot to be said for that. But when it comes to the starters, even though at, at times McKenzie's been better than Bieber, Bieber's the guy. You know, you need you needed him to give you eight innings last night, and he did it. Um, this is significant to him. I'm just kind of looking at his uh, uh, his career here, and this is a, now he's up to 167 innings, which is the most innings he has thrown since. Uh, 
other than his uh, Cy Young Award season, which was, I'm sorry, excuse me, since 2019, because the Cy Young Award season, he only pitched 77, and then last year, he only pitched 96. So he's getting back to that arm strength that he had, like in 2019, where he threw 215 innings. So that's that's important, too, so that they can uh, count on him for big games, big innings late in the season. Because remember, last year he missed three months with that sore shoulder. And then early on, he wasn't throwing as hard. Um, and then finally, uh, what I want to see, because, you know, come playoff time, hopefully we will be talking playoffs. Remember in 2020, Bieber started that first game against the Yankees and just got drilled. So uh, this would be good to see, you know, how he pitches uh, if they do make the playoffs or games down the last two weeks, which are all going to feel like playoff games, I think, for this team. Yeah, and I'd agree with you, Terry. I, one thing that I think is also kind of important is there's kind of been this legacy passed down. And you remember mm-hmm. when um, when uh, Kluber, Corey Kluber was here, the yeah. younger guys, like when Bieber was younger, Corey Kluber set the tone for that staff. Like, here's how you be a professional pitcher. You show up early. You put in the work off on, on your off days. And I really think that he's kind of taken on that role for this staff in terms of I mean, he's not even that old. I've, there's been games when he's been interviewed during the games on YouTube and stuff, and they ask him, oh, you're the old man of the staff, and he's not really that old. But yeah. um, be, having been around a while, I think the younger guys really look to him to show them, all right, this is this is how we do it. Uh, well, and I think tw- it, it's kind of trickled down to these other guys on the staff. Yeah, he's 27. I was just checking his age myself. Um, also, not only with work in between, just simply how you pitch, which is – you know, don't walk guys. They find ways to strike people out without running up their pitch counts and walking guys. And that's a, that's been a big uh, way the staff has worked here. The, the starters have not been those that are uh, usually, the, let's, put it, let's put it this way, usually they're among the, the American League teams with the fewest walks on the whole staff. And he, you know, exemplify that. Kluber would do it. Uh, you can get Clevenger a pretty good uh, – Pretty good control. Uh, Bauer could be wild, but that was one of the things that actually helped Bauer as he got older. They finally convinced him. You didn't have to strike out every single guy. That was always a battle with the different pitching coaches that he had. Um, so I agree. And, and besides, it's just now when you don't know what Plezak's done, you know, just that's a whole other deal. And the fact is, in the last two years, Plezak's ERA is 4.4. You know, all this talk about he doesn't get run support or they got no hit when he pitched. Well, you can still go out and hold the other team to two or three runs. That's allowed. Uh, And he hasn't done that. And then he's punching the mound and so on. And then, you know, there's got to be major concerns about Savale. He's been on disabled list three times this year. So, yeah, they need Beaver. They need Quantrill, who I think is the most underrated starter on the staff is Quantrill. And And McKenzie, you know, McKenzie has a great personality, too, if you notice that. And he is, I think, some ways like a more outgoing Bieber. He's about the right stuff. Well, he just has – Bieber's pretty quiet in that. All right, Terry, I know uh, before we move on here, I know you wanted to talk a little bit, little bit about Stephen Kwan and Andres Jimenez. And just – we've talked about this on the podcast. You always hear about rookies hitting the wall. and I mean, Jimenez isn't a rookie, but – young players hitting a wall at this point of the season. These guys are just, they're just keeping going and keeping at it and grinding away. It's been really something to watch. 
Yes, because you think they've been in the league for five years. That's how they both act. That's how they are. Um, I'm, this is for a Hey Terry question coming on later on, but I got a, uh, an email and, uh, from uh, Mark Record. It said, can you compare Robbie Almar to Andres Jimenez as a second baseman? And I said, well, you know, we don't want to go totally down the Hall of Fame road because Robbie Almar, 12 All-Star games, 10 gold gloves. But at the same age, their stats are almost the same. A difference is Almar almost was a – no, Almar was a second base in the minors. I think he only played five games at short. You know, Jimenez is primar- primarily a shortstop. Um, and the way Jimenez is growing into a power hitter in that, this guy uh, – and he he's unflappable. I just wish, wish he stopped getting hit by pitches. But I mean, they're throwing these sliders in on you. Get out of there. He's always <laughs> getting hit in the leg. I mean – Get tired. In fact, uh, David, I remember one time uh, when I was covering the Orioles in 1979, Earl Weaver did not like his pitchers thrown high and inside up by people's heads or whatever. But he know what he would say? He would throw his pitchers, throw it at their knees, knock them to the dirt. They don't want to get hit in the legs. And so Baltimore would do that. And it would kind of avoid some of the uh, warnings you'd get and major injuries. And the hitters hated it, just hated it. And, well, anyway, they're throwing at his knees. <laughs> Get out of the way. So, Terry, would you – long-term, would you keep him at second base? I mean, it's a little bit of a less demanding position than short. But, I mean, over the next few years, in, in terms of his long-term outlook, it, it, being a power-hitting second baseman, it, it's something every team can really need. Would you keep him there? I think so. Yeah. I've been there because Brian Roccaccio, I know I always get the name right, is, is, has been shooting up through the system. He's now a triple-A. Uh, he's called a professor, and he's a tremendous defensive shortstop. Gabriel Arias, I'm not writing him off. He's had a year, just kept been hurt all year and on, and things have not gone well. Uh, so you've got those two. You know, you could come back next year if you want with uh, Ahmed on another one-year deal uh, and, and bring in one of those other two kids. And, and just keep it that way. Uh, if you didn't have excellent young defensive shortstops coming, then um, that's okay. Then you could move him. I think about Jose Ramirez early in his career. I think most fans forgot he came up originally as a shortstop, although he played more second base in the minors. He was sort of a year of ahead of Lindor and the pecking order of, of going through the farm system. So he came up as a shortstop. Then he played some third. Then he went to the outfield for a while. Then he kind of zipped over to second before settling at third. I would not want to see Jimenez go through all of that. Uh, but this, the idea of keeping the bat in the lineup makes sense. And it's just like Juan is actually a center fielder by trade. But, boy, is he terrific and left. Yeah, and they're running for a gold glove. Um, yeah, among other awards. So And, uh, right. and Jimenez possibly, too, at second base. Mm-hmm. All right, Terry, before we move on, I want to ask you the big question. Will the Guardians win the division? Well, the Twins have everybody hurt, and they just refuse to They refuse to win. Your White Sox, because you're a Chicago guy, now that they finally have a, a manager who's uh, younger than me, um, I'm not saying it's not an age thing. It's just like it's a reality thing. LaRusso, there was a real disconnect there. And they're starting to play better since they made a managerial change, at least uh, even if it's interim. 
Uh, but it sounds like LaRusso's having somewhat heart issues and things like that, that, that was some of the stuff. So, and he's, I think he's 70 something, 76. So that's, that's the thing that they're, they have the most talent, the White Sox do, but you know what? Why not? I like the, I like Cleveland's schedule. They're facing the teams that they need to beat. Go beat them. They're not intimidating. I'm not intimidated by the White Sox or the twins or, you know, the Royals, whatever. And Terry, you mentioned a lot of big games coming up against teams that they need to beat. There's eight mm-hmm. games coming up in the next two weeks against the Twins. Eight. There's three this weekend at Target Field from Friday to Sunday. And then next weekend, which I believe is 16, 17, 18, it's actually a wraparound series at Progressive Field against the Twins. There's one game Friday, doubleheader Saturday the 17th, single game Sunday, single game Monday. So there's five games, and, and we're going to know a lot about the division uh, when that is over, so um, a lot of a lot of interesting baseball coming it's, up. The one thing is a shame, David, is if they would. Ha- I wish they had more starters ready, uh, major league ready right now. They don't. Um, the uh, they moved up Logan T. Allen to Triple A, and he had blown through A and Double A. Last time I looked the other day, his ERA is six point two. He's just really struggling. So you're seeing uh, Curry, that Curry kid came up. Cody Morris, they've loved. I saw him pitch in 2021. It was the last day spring training was open before COVID hit, and I just went to a back diamond, and this big kid's on the mound pitching in like an A-ball game just to watch something, and he's throwing like 94 miles an hour, and I'm looking him up, well, Cody, Cody Morris, and I see seventh-round pick. I think he went to South Carolina or one of those schools. And I just kind of kept him in mind. I mean, I didn't know he was going to vault through the system like that. But, boy, as you see how physically he looks like a big league starter. And that was what just jumped out to me there. And those college pitchers always have extra polish that you see, too. So they need him. They need somebody like that, David, even to give him four or five innings. You know, I think he's on a 65-pitch limit. That's what it's going to take. Well, and I think the Guardians lead the majors in – players who the most players who made their major league debuts this season and they could mm-hmm. have more I mean, you're right they're going to be they're going to be just plugging people in and hoping they can fill innings Bull, some bullpen games uh paul hoynes and joe noga our colleagues have been writing about how bullpen games are going to be a, a regular thing down the stretch here so we'll see how it goes they got uh they got a month left and it's going to be a really exciting month so um let's take a take a break terry what do you think we'll take a break i'm all for it all right hey when we come back we're going to get into the browns we've got some uh kind of Will Nick Chubb rush for 1,200 yards, more or less? Amari Cooper, will he have 900 receiving yards, more or less? We're going to get in, into some season predictions here, Terry's prediction for the Browns. We, have a, we haven't had a chance to talk about the Donovan Mitchell trade. It happened right after we taped this last week, Terry, so we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about your faith column. We've got some good Hey Terry questions. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we are back on Terry's Talking, Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, it's, I call it season launch week for the Browns, and uh, I guess we can talk about the Panthers game first, and then we'll talk about some bigger picture season stuff. But uh, you wrote a column uh, today where you actually kind of scouted the Carolina Panthers, and you talked to Ellis Williams, one of our former colleagues who used to cover the Browns and now covers the Panthers uh, down in Charlotte. Uh, Why don't you talk about the Panthers and kind of what you heard from Ellis when you talked to him about the team? Well, it's a little like a Brown story in that here they are, you know, shopping for a new quarterback. They brought in Baker. Uh, by the way, Baker is the hope of 
coach Matt Rule because he is, according to Vegas, the most likely coach to get fired. Um, the last two years, he's won five games. Make it even worse for Rule. They ended up by losing 12 of their last 14 games a year ago with Sam Darnold. So they go into training camp with the idea that Baker probably will win it, but they were going to let Sam Darnold compete and have Matt Corral, who they drafted. Darnold, high ankle sprain. Corral hurts his foot. Surgery. They're Both of these guys, Corral's out for the year. Darnold's out for months. And so they got Matt. I'm sorry, Matt Rule has um, Baker, and he has P.J. Walker. And that's it. Play ball. Against Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. And a rookie left tackle uh, there. Now, to be fair to uh, Carolina, they did go out and they signed um, three. They brought in three people on the offensive line. Vernon Bozeman, a center from Baltimore. And they brought in Austin Corbett, remember him, who couldn't play here, but was immediately traded to the Rams and started every single game at guard, including the Super Bowl. And then became a free agent, now signed for pretty big money with Carolina. And they drafted a, a Cowway, I can't think of the kid's name, uh, left, left tackle. But um, talking to Ellis, he said there is some concern about, they think that a group is going to be a good run blockers, but some concern about their pass protection. So Baker better get rid of it quick because I'm sure they're going to come at him. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. And like you said, if, if he – if he gets hurt, boy, it, the whole the whole game changes. Um, and the, Terry, the other, yeah, I, wanna, I wanna say also about the, the franchise is interesting. It was bought in 2018 by a guy named David Tepper, who's one of these hedge fund moguls. Um, Forbes magazine ranks him as the richest NFL owner at $17 billion. And like a lot of these guys who are the richest, whatever they are, buying to the NFL or pro sports, they just figured they'd you know, everything would just fall into place. Well, um, he has um, basically keeps winning five games, and that's it, season after season. You know, quarterback after quarterback, uh, coach after coach. So he's probably in the mood to shake things up. So all that's hanging over the franchise. Now they have a couple of good players, Christian McCaffrey, but he's only played 10 games in the last two years. You know, he's really good. Uh, I have a receiver named Moore who's got a lot of speed. Uh, their defense is, eh, I don't know. The Browns should be able to put some points up on those guys. Um, so I, I, I found that, uh, that Baker is like in one of those situations. Again, you got a rich owner, can't figure out how to win. You got a team with a lot of, ba- <laughs> granted, they're not one in 31, but when you, when you lose 12 out of 14 to end the season and you keep winning five, that's not too much different than what he ran into in Cleveland. Um, and he got a coach uh, on the hot seat because you remember that when he came in here, that was Hugh Jackson. So now it's uh, it's Met Rule. By the way, they brought in uh, former Browns coaches to help the situation. You got Chris Tabor as the special teams coach, and Steve Wilkes is doing defensive backs. Uh, Jim Campen is the offensive line coach. Al Holcomb, who was here, he's a linebacker coach. Uh, and in typical fashion, when you're not a very good team, Zane Gonzalez, who, remember, draft played here, was a very good kicker, as it turned out, since he's gone to Carolina. He ripped, not just pulled his groin, he ripped the groin muscle. He's done. So they've yeah. shot for a kicker right before. Dave, if they lose to Carolina, I don't even want to turn my computer open on after it's over. Yeah, can you imagine the fan outrage if that if And that they happens, should be so. mad. They should be. 
So let's get into the season a little bit, Terry. We talked a little bit about the Panthers game Sunday. Uh, by the way, check out uh, – we've got a lot of great season preview stuff for the Browns yes. on our website this week. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot had an interview today with Jacoby Brissett, <clears throat> a good sit-down interview. Dan Lobby had a really nice story yesterday on Amari Cooper and kind of the science and the art of his thought process about route running. And we're going to mm-hmm. have predictions and, and preview stuff all week. So check that out. If you, and if you check, if you check out the blue banner at the top of the cleveland.com slash Browns page, you can subscribe. And if you subscribe, we, you get a morning newsletter every day about the Browns. You can sign up for our texting service, which is where our reporters text you like right from location. So anyway, I don't want to turn this into an infomercial, but there's a lot of cool Browns. But, stuff I, we but I will say this, this is a fact, great time to sign up right before I was, we came on, I, I was getting ready to, to um, tweet out and mention Mary Kay's story and Jacoby, because uh, it is interesting to listen to his mindset and dealing with a uh, situation with Watson. And then also I did yesterday, Dan's story with a, uh, Amari Cooper, who I think fans are going to grow a real appreciate appreciation of. I sort of knew from a distance he was good, David, but until I saw him in a couple of those, uh, especially when they were playing the Eagles, those practices like that, I said, wow, this guy's a lot better. And I thought he's big. He can create space. He's got good hands. He knows how to run a route. Um, yeah, and That's I love the thing the to keep Dan in mind. Remember when Jacoby Brissett was out there in that one preseason game and he was under orders to throw the ball to, to Anthony Schwartz? It's not going to be like that at Carolina this weekend. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I love the quote that Amari Cooper told to Dan. He said, there's a, there's a guy in front of me and I have to manipulate him in order mm-hmm. to get open. I love that. That was such an interesting way to put that. But So check that out. But anyway, Terry, back to the season. I, I, I like to look at kind of what Vegas says about the Browns sometimes. What and I want to run a few pat I want to run a few of these numbers past you and, and get your thoughts on them. Vegas has the Browns over under on wins at 8.5. And I know you've kind of been pondering what your prediction is going to be for the season here, but it, where do you stand on 8.5? Is it going to be more or less than that? Um, well, I, the first prediction I made, which is on NPR today, WKSU, where I do a commentary each week with Amanda Rabinowitz, I came down at nine and eight. But then I was thinking about it. We taped that earlier in the week. Now I'm like, maybe I'm just getting overly optimistic. Maybe I just don't want a bad year. Maybe I, you know, I'm just getting old. I want to, now I'm up to 10 and seven. So that's going to be my prediction column coming up. And I'm saying that just because if they don't throw the ball the other team, if Kevin Stefanski, as I wrote on Sunday, faces reality, that this is a team that you've got running backs, run the ball, short passes, can play ball control. If actually Jacoby play his last 20 starts, Jacoby's last 20 starts, which is covers the last uh, three years, he started 20 games. He's nine and 11, doesn't look all that good. In that span, he's thrown 23 touchdown passes and 10 interceptions. If he gives me a two to one ratio, of TD passes to interceptions. And that's not, un, you know, unrealistic. If Cade York kicks field goals, it doesn't have to be from 70 yards, you know, just kicks them. You don't end up with the worst field goal percentage in the NFL as they were last year. If, and that's not unrealistic either, if Kevin Stefanski sometimes just turns the analytics people off who want to go for it on fourth down. And there are the people take, well, seven points is better than three. Well, I got news for you. Three points is better than none. 
And sometimes on that fourth down, if you don't really have the elite quarterback and you got a very good kicker and you got a good defense, take the points. And I don't think any of that is an unrealistic or out-of-the-box game plan. It's kind of old school. You can win a lot of games that way. So 10 and 7. 10 and 7. All right, I'm going to say 9 and 8. I'm also saying they're going to be over 8 and a half. And, and my, my reasoning real quick is I, I just – Jacoby Percet. I don't know that he's got the weapons to get the ball down the field. And the Browns are like one tweaked hamstring in that receiving core Mm -hmm. away from me being even more limited. And I just have a hard time seeing them score more than 25 points a game with the way things are set up when they're healthy. Um, And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, but I'm going to say if they average 25 a game, I think they can win 10 games. I'm serious. Maybe that you would have to control the tempo. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like what I've always felt about basketball games is oftentimes those games are are a battle over who's going to control the tempo, especially if you have a team that plays a certain way. The Cavaliers proved it last year. J.B. Bickerstaff, you know, surprised everybody by going 44 and 38, not only with the big lineup, he controlled the tempo. It was slower slower games, more defense, um, that kind of stuff. Well, do that version with the Browns. and David, Mr. Tight End Coach, is he ever going to make the tight ends look good? Because as far as I've seen his first two years here, is his idea of throwing a tight end was a six-yard pass to Austin Hooper. And now you've got David Njoku signed for a big contract, and he's ready to ready to turn it loose. And you've written about this, Terry, that they realize they need to throw the ball more and be more downfield with it in the yeah. offseason. And maybe so, that's how, how you that... get it downfield instead of the outside receivers. You create these mismatches. Flank out Kareem Hunt. Put him on some poor linebacker. A lot of stuff you can do. I, I just – I mean, David, I don't know. How do you feel about the defense? I think they're going to be good. I really yeah. do. Uh, Lance Reisland, who breaks down film for us, uh, is really concerned about the interior defensive line, mm-hmm. but I think they can find a way to compensate for that team. This is a passing league. Teams are not going to be running the ball um, as much as they used to. So, all right, let's move on, Terry. So one of the next things I want to ask you, the Vegas number says Nick Chubb, will he be over 1,200 yards rushing or under 1,200 yards rushing? That's an interesting number. I'll go with over because you got 17 games. And I'm hoping that he will be able to stay, you know, somewhat healthy um, as he has in the past. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's 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 a possibility and they should be running it. And I guess the question is, how much how much will they split carries with Kareem Hunt? That would might be the thing that. Would... Yeah, it could be. But as he twelve hundred yards on that guy, if you're. If you're, you're doing it the right way, is a real possibility. By the way, is there a rule that you're not allowed to throw a pass to Nick Chubb? There is not. <laughs> Remember how he would see him on the bench with third downs? Oh, and with less than two minutes to go in the game? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you throw it to the big man out there in the flat, you talk about go back to the old days of tough, smart, and accountable. That's the, That's my guy. I think he'll catch it. And if he drops one, I don't think he'll drop another. 
I am right there with you on that. So, all right, Terry, last number here. Amari Cooper, will he have more than 900 regular season re- regular season receiving yards or less than 900 regular season receiving yards? I'm going to go with less. Really? Yeah. Because? I think he'll probably miss a couple games for injury. And I just – I hope I'm wrong, but I just think they're not going to focus on throwing the ball to him a lot. It's going to be the other stuff we were just talking about. You know, spread the wealth. And he is going to draw the other team's best corner a lot of weeks and yes. safety help. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the most accomplished receiver they have. So It's a great great time to be Donovan Peoples-Jones because I think David Bell will be catching a lot of the short passes. But Peoples-Jones, he, he is a guy, I think he's averaged almost 17 yards a catch in his career. He is a guy that could go downfield. He'll have a lot of one-on-one coverages. And his hands look good. Uh, yeah. he had, he, I think he had one catch in the preseason. And it was a heck of a catch <laughs> on, I, a, on a flat route. I mean, let's let's be fair to him too. This is only his uh, third season. Yeah, it's not like he's been in the five years. Yeah, he he could have a big season. All right, Terry. So let's wrap this up. So you're predicting ten wins for the Browns. I'm predicting nine. And then let's predict the game Sunday, the Browns at Carolina. What's your score prediction for Sunday's opener? All right. I, I'm saying Browns Browns 24, Baker 13. I have 23 to 14. We were right oh, in really? the same place. Yeah. Yeah, and you better get used to those kind of numbers, too, if you think this team's going to win nine or ten games. Yeah, I'm seeing two touchdowns and three Cade York, Cade York yeah, field just, goals for just, the Browns. Yeah, kick it. and yep. You're allowed to kick field goals. All right. It all gets going on Sunday afternoon at 1. The Browns at Carolina can't have much uh, more interesting storylines for a season opener. So, All right, Terry, we have to talk Cavs real quickly. We finished taping our podcast last week, and the Donovan Mitchell trade happened right mm-hmm. after. So this is kind of the first chance we've had to talk about it. I know you've written about it. Um, a week later now, where do you stand on things? And you're, and you still think it was a good move. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, it's a good move. I'm not, I'm not like everybody thinks of here. You're in the final four of the NBA or any of that stuff with that, but it makes them better. I mean, it is, I'm still dealing with my old mindset of trading all these draft picks. Oh my goodness. 25, 27, 29. And basically you also traded your 22 draft pick because Abaje is in part of that trade. So you traded four first rounders in this deal along with marketing who I like Um, and you know, Sexton um, that was going to be a problem because he was not going to be happy with the one-year contract. They're going to offer him. I mean, his agent basically almost spat on a three-year $39 million offer. This is to a guy who played only 11 games last year coming off a knee problem. So, you know, he's gone to, uh, that's fine. He's gone. And, uh, now, I've been getting some emails. People say Sexton's a small guard. Mitchell's a small guard. Sexton averaged 23 points the last time he had a full season. Mitchell averages around 25. It's the same guy. No, it's not the same guy. Because if it were the same guy, Sexton would have made three all-star teams. Mitchell did. Remember, Mitchell didn't play in New York. He played in Salt Lake City. So uh, he's gotten there. Now, I talked to a top NBA executive. And he's sort of in my age range. And I was surprised how that was the column I wrote for Sunday, how all in he was on the deal is he said it was time to take a big swing. Um, as he said to me that he's even had to adjust his own mindset of 
how teams will just trade these number ones now, like they're not a big deal because they figure they could trade for them later. Now, I like having a number one in my back pocket. That's how the Cavaliers were able to obtain Jared Allen. They traded a Milwaukee's number one, and part of that three- or five-way deal, whatever it was, with James Harden going all over. And all of a sudden, this Jerome, this uh, Jared Allen shows up here. So there's some downside, because this is your team. You can't make very many big changes now. I think they probably could sign a guy to a minimum in that. But um, the other thing, and the, the executive told me this, he said, Terry, a problem for the Cavs, you, you've mentioned it. He said, well, you know, Darius isn't in there. You know, they have trouble creating shots. But even when he is, it was, it was a challenge. He said, but when you have four really good players, your coach should always have at least two of them on the floor at the same time. That should cut down those 13 to two opposing runs and that kind of stuff. Because you have, you know, four guys, three who've made all-star teams already, and a fourth in Mobley who everybody believes will be an all-star. And you have two bigs and two smalls. So you could divide that up pretty easily over the course of a game. All right. I, I wanted to share this stat with you, Terry, just kind of a, taking a wider look here. This is really interesting. I, I haven't had a chance to go through and check all the math on this, but um, I got it from, I saw somebody posted it on Twitter off of a pretty reliable source. The Guardians average age, 26.2, right? Youngest in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Browns average age, 25, which is one of the youngest in the NFL. Really? I think the Cavs are at 22.6 years old now. Is that I'd have to look at that. That seems Yeah, we'd have to check that. But, I mean, we're looking at three franchises in town that are all young, all have a core. And they're all pretty good. And so we could be looking at a three- to five-year time frame here Mm -hmm. where these teams are all going to be in contention. It could be a really fun time to be a Cleveland sports fan. Because when you look at a team that young, say, look at the Guardians, you know, who who are they going to lose to free agency? Nobody that matters. Um, You look at the Browns. Uh, who can they lose to free agency of consequence? Nobody that matters. Um, and then you go to the Cavaliers. Who could they lose to free agency? Okay, Kevin Love's in the last year of his contract. Uh, Karis Levert, depending on how you feel about him. But that core four is tied up for a minimum of three years together. And, you know, some of those guys will be here longer. Uh, Jared Allen has four years left on his contract. Um, Darius with that extension. I, I forgot whether it's five or six years. Uh, and uh, Mitchell has three with the team with, I'm sorry, with the player option. So you, you that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And because young is one thing, but young and, and at least decent to good is very promising because you won't be losing a lot of key players unless you want to. Well, yeah, and you always hear GMs and owners talk about we want to be sustainable, we want to be yeah. in contention. And this is this is where these franchises have gotten. It's really the timing is really interesting. So, um, all right, Terry, let's talk about your faith in you column this week. Uh, you you're telling a story, and this is for the weekend. It'll be on Cleveland.com on Saturday morning and in the Plain Dealer on Sunday about how you were in a store and a woman needed help getting some water down. Take it yeah. from there. Right. So she's in one of those motorized carts and. She needs some water, uh, get some, this water, but it was on the top shelf and on the top shelf at Walmart, which are pretty high. So I'm like, oh, no problem. So I'm like, I'll get it down. And there was two of these like plastic cartons of 18 little water bottles, one on top of each other on the top shelf. So just as I put my toe on the, t- on the bottom shelf to go up, I heard this lady say, well, I can help you with that. 
And I'm like, and I'm, and I'm turning around, looking. So, oh, I got it. I'm looking. She is like six foot two. And I'm thinking, oh boy. So I, I look back up there. I'm going, this looks really high. But it's like, you know, the, here's the real, well, no woman's going to be able to do this. I'll, I'll take care of this. I, I got it. I got it. So she's watching. I go up. And of course, I get my hands on the bottom one. Remember, there's two of them stocked on top of each other. I'm going to bring both down because like Paul Bunyan or something. And of course, I lean back. Down they both go. And bottles squirting all over. And so she just looks at me and she didn't say a word. I go, I go there. I said, male ego. She's helping me pick up the bottles and all that. So now both of those things are wrecked on top of it. And so she just quietly goes and brings another one down, gives it to the lady, smiles and leaves. I'm sure she has a great story to tell, but this had to do with, and it's an interesting um, concept that goes deeper, especially as we get older or that, accepting help putting our ego aside and accepting help. And I think a lot of us have a hard time doing that. And um, also when you're watching somebody like me, make a total fool of myself doing it with grace, you know, it could have been so easy for her to laugh. I mean, she was smiling. Don't get me right. But you know, I told you, so I knew I got to, you know, she didn't, none of that. So I realized she was about 40 years younger and about five times more mature. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the I, I was just reading the column earlier today to get it ready for the weekend. And one of the lines that I thought was really important in there, Terry, that, and this is your point that you made, is that a lot of times you think when you do when you don't let somebody help, you think, well, I'm saving them from having to do this. When actually they they enjoy helping yes. people. And you're and and the way you phrased it was by turning her down, I didn't allow her the joy of helping someone else because I wanted to do it. And I never really thought about that. Like pe people like helping each other and you're depriving them of that moment mm -hmm. of joy when, when you don't accept the help. And I, I never really thought of it that way. There's a really good book called uh, the love, the, 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 I think it's the five love languages. It's either the four or five, but anyway, Gary Chapman's the guy, but one of them love languages that people have for one another is giving, you know, people who like to give gifts and, and that. So, and giving doesn't necessarily have to be, okay, you know, here's a brand new coat. It could be just like there, get the water down to the top shelf for this lady in a motorized cart. And when, or she wanted to kind of bring us two together. She was going to take it off, hand it to me. I don't know. She probably had a much better plan than I did. And we both would have enjoyed on it, but I was going to make my point And I certainly did. All right. Again, you can catch that this weekend. Uh, another excellent Terry Faith in You column. So give it a read. So, all right, we've got a couple of Hey Terry questions. Terry, we're running short on time, but let's see if we can get to these. Uh, this one is from Jerry R. Baker, and he says, Hey, Terry, first-time listener, long-time reader of Terry. The podcast from last week was great. I was particularly interested in the last point made during the Guardian segment about the TV coverage. It's quite ironic the comment about fans in the Cleveland broadcast area cannot watch the Guardians on the MLB package. Here I am, a lifelong Tribe Guardians fan in Cincinnati, and I see every game I buy the MLB Extra Innings package. I do agree with your comments about YouTube, Apple TV, and Peacock. I don't get those. Um, he says he also wanted to mention about the outstanding job the Guardians front office has done. It rings very true. I live in Cincinnati, so I'm familiar with the Reds. I hang out in a sports bar adjacent to the ballpark in Cincinnati. And believe me, fans are suffering down here with the Reds. Ugh. Their ownership and front office are awful. Cleveland should be grateful with the way the Guardians are run. And again, that's from Jerry R. Baker. Thanks for writing, Jerry. Well, the Reds could be bad for a while, too. 
that's the other thing that this is they've always uh, been able to do is stay away from those 95 to 100 loss teams. Yeah, it's impressive the way they've been able to. I mean, how many losing seasons has Terry Francona? Well, if they have a winning there, season right? this year, so it's 10 years here, it'll be the one losing season. Yep. And if they make the playoffs, there'll be six postseasons and it'll be one World Series. That is some run for a middle market to small market team. So, all right, Terry, this one is from Chris in Denver, Colorado. He says, hey, Terry, entering the final month of the Guardians inaugural season, how would you assess current fan sentiment over the team's name change? With Jose driving and runs, Tito steering the ship, Hammy calling the games, you and Hoinsey writing about the team in a September race for the Central Division. So much about this season of change has felt familiar and exciting. Also, are you seeing any Guardians nicknames rising above the rest? So he's talking like G-Men or the Guards or I don't know, anything. Well, well I guess guard... two parts of that question. So this has this season felt the same to you? And what have you been hearing from fans and also well, any nicknames? I still get – now they're kind of like a smart aleck remark after a story about email about how they like what the team's doing or something, you know, it's sort of getting tossed in there with, Oh, and the Dolans are cheap, even though they're winning, you know, that, that, so that's where it's, it's moved to now. Had the team been having a red season, you'd be hearing about that a lot more. Uh, I really believe that. And secondly, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, I forgot the second part because I'm old. Oh, the nicknames. Have you seen any interesting nicknames that you've liked for instead of Guardians? No. Like for short, nick, shortening the well, different approaches to Guardians. Like the, I, I, Hamilton, Tom, Tom Hamilton saying go, the guards a lot. You know, that seems to be kind of where it's going. Uh, I tried the G-Man, but it didn't really do a lot for me. One guy keeps writing me, wants me to call them the patrol, but I, P-A-T-R-O-L, I, I just, I believe in patrol. I don't. Guards, oh, because patrol. of the guardians like standing yeah. on the bridge there and yeah, patrolling, guard, yeah. patrolling. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the G's, because it's like Toronto. They call them the J's. Rays. So you don't have a favorite. You're just going to stick with guardians most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks for that letter, Chris. And this is the last one. It's from Paul Janchevsky. Paul, I hope you probably pronounced your last name right. He says, hey, Terry, I'm doing something I never thought I would do. I'm severing ties with the Browns. I've been a fan for life, a season ticket holder since 1999. I've lived through all the ups and downs, the screwed up draft picks. I never thought I'd see anything as horrendous as what Art Modell did. While the Haslams and the current staff have almost equaled this mistake, they mortgaged the future by handing a huge contract to a guy whose moral compass points directly at his crotch. Wow. They knew it, and they still did it. And um, you've written a lot about this already, Terry. Yeah. But he says, um, two years ago, a Steeler said, the Browns is the Browns. We knew he was right then because as fans, we've lived with this kind of crap for years. How funny it still rings so true. You've broken my heart again for the last time. Again, that's from Paul. He has season tickets. He says he's traveled the games from Lima, Toledo, Columbus, and Indiana, but he won't spend another cent until it gets its moral compass together. Have you seen a lot of this kind of fan sentiment, Terry, this offseason? Uh, yes, I have. But I also, in the past, we've seen quite a bit too. But I don't know how that will translate long term. Uh, but this is a, this fractured a franchise. And they could stay, the Browns could say, well, they're, they still have, I believe, a waiting list for season tickets and all this stuff. But this is really hurt. This is a different one. That's why I always keep saying this is an ownership decision. Because when you're bringing in a player that you know is coming in with that kind of baggage and you know in this environment 
for good reason, there's going to be a lot of outrage. Uh, this is on you. This is on the Haslam family. And so that is why people are upset. Uh, we'll see how it plays out long term. Uh, but that's I'm not surprised. that I, That's actually even mild compared to some of the emails I have received. But also you don't hear people for the most part saying other than people telling me I was holier than thou and too harsh on Watson, that kind of thing. But the rest, when I keep saying my real criticism is the Browns. There was the Browns decision to bring this in. Uh, we'll see how it plays out over time. Yeah, I mean, as we have football for real starting on Sunday, it will be that's going to be one of the narratives yeah. of the whole season is just to see if the fans start to come back if they win and and how how they feel mm-hmm. toward the end of the year. So really, see, I mean, they've sold all the tickets already, David. They're sold out. I mean, they announced a sellout for that preseason game where there are like twenty thousand people there. So because that they're they're sold out. Yep. Uh, all right, Terry. I think we can wrap this up, right? I'm all set. All right. I just wanted to give another quick plug to Terry's appearance on Tuesday, which is September 13th. He's going to be at the Medina Library at 6.30. Bring some books for him to sign that he's written. Bring an old ticket stub or an old gym sock. He'll sign He'll sign anything, right? <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> to an extent, yeah. So that should be a nice night, um, and be sure to get out for that. Uh, and that'll do it. We'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking. Terry's Talking.